0: The Crude Life every Monday through Thursday with a weekend review on Friday.
1: Welcome to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Speece. I'm your host, the Shale Play Prophet, the North Dakota Nomad. We're broadcasting from the Hatch Coaching Studios. We have our entitled intern, Provolone, manning the production elements of the podcast. Coming up a little later in the program, Terry Edom will join us. The man, the myth, the legend, the author, the writer, and the blogger. Man, that guy's got a lot of nicknames. We got a brevity You'd think a couple writers could figure out some brevity, but hey, Terry Edom, he's got the book, The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. He's also a writer for the BOE Report, and he also has a blog, too, called Public Energy Number One. He's a regular on the program, he has a nickname on the program, and he's a very uh, international man as well, as he lives in Canada. Uh, Excellent interview coming up a little bit later in the program with Terry Edom, who's patiently waiting. Actually, he's not waiting yet, but we're going to join him a little bit later on our Bakken Barbecue phone lines over there. See, we have a sponsor for our phone lines, the Bakken Barbecue sponsor for the phone lines. All right, headlines coming up in just a moment or two. The music that you're hearing on today's program is the Moody River Band. Uh, We like to cross-promote with people who work outside of the oil and gas industry. We like to extend the olive branch and try to be a bridge, if you will. And music is a great way to do it, especially through a podcast. So if you have a local band or an independent singer-songwriter that would like some free publicity here on the Crude Life podcast, uh, feel free to... Give me an email, jason at thecrudelife.com, and what, what we have on our show page is links to the Moody River Bands page where you can buy their music. Now, the good news is, folks, they give away their music for free. They're one of the few bands out there that gives away their music for free, and then what they do is they want you to be familiar with their music, so you go to their live events. They really play street fairs and conventions and more of the big items. They have full-time jobs, but they like to get together and write original music and have like high-energy funk-style music. So if you have a chance, check them out, the Moody River Band. Uh, They're friends of the program and supporters of what we do. And so we're asking you, if you'd like to support them, feel free to click on the link. It's the Moody River Band. And if you have a band that you'd like featured here on The Crude Life, feel free to email me, Jason at TheCrudeLife.com. Okay, speaking of emails, boy, we do get quite a few emails here on this program. And thank you very much. If you've got a headline, email us. If you've got a story idea, email us. If you'd like to sponsor, email us. If you've got a social media thing that you want done, email us. Uh, We love to get the word out to the masses whether you 're a sponsor or not, because we are here for the industry, and we are a voice for the industry Now, one of the emails that we got recently was for the API gumbo cookoff, and that 's part of our we like to mention an event every single day here on the crude life. Podcast and one event that we're talking about is the 23rd annual API Gumbo Cookoff happening Saturday, March 28th at the West River Ice Center. Now, what you, we've got is more teams, more space, more fun. They used to have it at a hotel. And they outgrew that location because it's been growing every single year. And so for the 23rd annual API, Gumbo Cook-Off, Saturday, March 28th, $10 admission. I have been a judge at this in the past. It is more gumbo than you know what to do with, but it's fantastic, actually. It's just so good. So if you'd like to be a part of it, contact uh, apidickinson at gmail.com. We'll have the image on our show page as well as a link as well. So if you'd like to participate in it, obviously they'd love to have you be a part. And if you'd like to be a part of it, mark your calendar, put it in your app. I don't know what you got to do because I don't use apps. I still use a handwritten calendar. I mean, I'm so old. I use a handwritten calendar. Huh, boy, provolone. Now nah, look at that. I'm making fun of myself now for being so old. I mean, boy, you made fun of me the other day because you finally understood that you have to write it down. I am a visual listener. So you have to write it down. I'm a visual listener, Provolone. And that's what I have to do for the 23rd annual API Gumbo Cook-Off, Saturday, March 28th. It is written down now. All right, let's move on here, folks. Moving on to the next thing on our agenda here for the Crude Life Podcast. Terry Edom coming up in just a moment or two. Headlines right around the corner. Also wanna mention John Clark with Clark Energy Consulting will be, at the big frat conference this week and Nape. So we're gonna get an update from him later on this week as well. And our sponsor for today's program, because we do wanna mention that we have sponsors every single day here at the Crude Life Podcast. And we need sponsors because we need to keep our lights on. And the reason we need to keep our lights on is because we have to educate, entertain, and inform people how those lights get turned on. Today's sponsor here on the Crude Life Podcast is Absolute Energy Field Products and Services. They are an engineer, design, and manufacturer of oil and gas production equipment, refining, and petrochemical processing equipment. They manufacture the equipment with the highest standards, as per ASME, Boiler and Pressure Vessel Code, Section 8, Division 1, and can be designed, fabricated, and tested in accordance with NACE standards, that's NACE standards, For more information, visit www.absoluteenergyfield.com or check out the links on our show page at thecrudelife.com.
0: The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a Week in
2: Review on Friday. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years innovative the cleanest most technologically advanced downstream project ever the model for future shale basin projects groundbreaking the davis refinery Shouldn't listen to seal. I don't need nobody to
0: tell me. Or if
1: I'm- Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Speast. I have a couple emails that have called me the Shale Play Prophet and the North Dakota nomad. So we're incorporating those into our nicknames here on the Crude Life Podcast because we're playing it a little bit loose here on the podcast. So our next segment that we have is called Headlines. And what we do is we take three headlines every day. Provolone, our entitled intern, he picks the headlines and and I go over them, I I haven't looked at them yet. Some of them actually I've read ahead of time by accident, not because they're the ones, just in my own day to day. So I am familiar with some of them, but most of them I am not familiar with because it's kind of early when I do this, so here we go. Uh, The way we do it is we read the headlines and then we read the first couple paragraphs because that is the way the average person consumes news today. They see or read the headline. They read or look at the first couple paragraphs. They move on. A lot of people don't even click on the stories when they envision them or see them on social media. Envision them. That is, that's not even the correct context for that word. And I'm calling myself out on that one. Provolone. You have to throw one of those foam oil drums and and dinosaurs and chickens and things when I when when I use incorrect language, man. Sometimes I get going. You know, I'm getting so old that apparently, you know, I, I yell at the newspaper, like you say. So I, I you, sometimes, you know, it things slip. So you have to throw it at me. Anyway, the average person, they, they see a headline, they read the first couple paragraphs, they make an assessment and move on. That is how little people are into the news. So, hey, we're going to play along and we do that. So this is our segment we call Headlines. And our first headline is from CNBC. Oh, this will be good. There's no more money to be made in oil and gas stocks, Jim Cramer says. CNBC's Jim Cramer said Monday his negativity towards oil stocks is not about environmentalism, but economics. I'm not here, though, to make political stands. My job is to help you try and make money, the Mad Money host said. Well, based on those two sentences or paragraphs and based on his headline, I cannot disagree more with uh, Mad Money and Jim Cramer. Keep in mind, Jim Cramer is a showman. He's, he's one of those um, dancing bears, one of those uh, monkeys with the, with, with, you know that plays the drums, plays the big drums and things like that. You put a corner at them, sometimes they flip a showman. And he's doing that here because it's the cool in thing to do. North Dakota is still pumping out 1.3, 1.4 barrels a day. Texas is 3 million some, Colorado, Alaska. We are still pumping out very good numbers of oil. The industry is changing. There's automation happening. There's a big cruise shift happening with retirees. So the industry is shifting and going through changes, but there's still business to be had and there's still money circulating around the planet. So if some banks are not going to because a bunch of children are protesting outside, well, the private world will step up. We ain't going off of fossil fuels anytime soon. We're not. For the next 20 years minimum, fossil fuels will be a major part of our life. Now, people might be fighting the whole way, but the infrastructure set up of our daily items rely on petrochemicals and fossil fuels. You just can't take a societal shift that fast without major consequences. So uh, that's the type of stuff Jim Cramer should be talking about. Not, you know, being a monkey that you put a quarter into and he does flips on the corner and, and that sort of thing, you know, What's that guy? What's it, what is Provo? Look, you got to look that up. I mean, there's there's a term for that—the the monkey that has the symbols and the and the drum and Italian guy behind there with the stereotypes and the whole thing. And am I that old? Is that an old old thing? Oh my goodness! We got to get to the next headline now. Okay, BLM—that's the Bureau of Land Management withdraws western Colorado land from oil and gas lease sale. Not good news there. That's an editorial there. All right, coming from the Associated Press, Grand Junction, the Federal Bureau of Land Management withdrew land parcels from an upcoming Colorado oil and gas lease sale due to ongoing litigation, officials said. The agency removed about 14 square miles from the sale scheduled for March 26th, the Grand Junction Daily Sentinel reports. The withdrawn land is located in Mesa, Jackson, MoFat, and Rio Blanco counties. So what's going on here, by the way, 48 square miles is, is what it equates to. Uh, this is, by the way, it's been going on for a while. This is the sage grouse thing. Uh, it's very common in North Dakota and in Wyoming and in Utah and Colorado. So this has been ongoing for a while, but the part that I guess I'm taking away from this is a lot of the sage grouse stuff and the spotted owls and a lot of these endangered species that have been going on for a decade, those are the things that the current environmentalists and activists are gonna use as, as as flames and kindling and gasoline. So th- there's there's another wave, if you will, of momentum that's even bigger than the local they've started and the statewide they've started, because this is, remember, this is federal here. This is Bureau of Land Management. Not to mention, isn't the headquarters now in Grand Junction for the Bureau of Land Management? So there's, you know, going to be a lot of attention to it as well. And I'm, I'm pretty certain that Governor Polis is probably involved in this in some way behind the scenes, if the headquarters for the Bureau of Land Management is now in in Grand Junction, Colorado and his state and his Colorado blueprint and the whole deal. So uh, pay attention to these folks. There are local issues, there are county issues, there are state issues, and there are federal issues too. And they all play together now. And they're used whatever way the activists want to use them on that day, because that's the type of momentum they've been able to create. So we have to really push our leaders and push our politicians and push those that are the influencers in industry to really um, stand up now. They need to they, they need to pull the bootstraps up more than ever instead of uh, going the other way. Because this is, you know, it's, we're, we're in serious times. Hey, 2020, ready for anything. 2020, ready for anything here at The Crude Life. Third headline of the day. By the way, these headlines are available at thecrudelife.com on our show page. Go to theverge.com and Messenger Kids now let parents see child's chat histories and recent images. Facebook has updated Messenger Kids with new options for parents to see how uh, to control their children using a messaging app the company announced today. These tools can be assessed by parents through the per- Parent Dashboard in the main Facebook app. Parents will now be able to see more details about who their children are messaging with, whether they're video calling them and their history of anyone they've blocked in the app. They'll also be able to see a log of recent images their child has sent and received and can log them out with devices remotely at any time. So really, you're just kind of the overlord of their phone, which is, you know, you're paying for it. You're also their legal guardian. This is actually something I thought that already existed, to be honest. I thought parents already had this control. So that's bad on me for thinking and taking advantage and taking for granted a lot of that different thing. So I I didn't realize this stuff was not even available. So uh, ProBlon, thank you. This will be a wake-up call that I need to uh, revisit my knowledge on the realities of technology. You got to remember Provolone, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I I should probably figure out when it was, it was 2006 or seven. I did an article called The Brave New World in Marketing. And it's been tracking telecommunications since the 90s. Because in 1997 or 1999, I can't remember what year it was, The FCC made a federal mandate that uh, federal communications devices had to have like a a recorder in them, like a remote uh, microphone. And it had to do with uh, emergencies, had to do with federal emergencies. Well, like anything, once it's there, well, then you start relaxing and you start thinking of other things. So once this thing has been around for a decade or so, then the private industry starts figuring out ways to use it as well. Well, Google... Figured out a way to have your computers listen to you if your dog barks, if a child cries. There was like 50 things that would trigger the device to go off. Well, now you know we've gotten into law enforcement with it. It's been Alexa's been used in court cases already. A number of different things. So you know, flash forward to where we're at today, and they're listening for keywords to full-on conversations. Well, since it went away from the emergency management into, you know, profiteering, if you will, I guess I took for granted a lot of that stuff already existed. Like I said, I thought that if you had a child on Facebook, you had full access to all their history, whether it be photos, deletes, blocks, anything. I mean, just like a, just like a log of activity. So I, I took all that for granted. I mean, like I said, 15 years ago, I mean, back, you know back in 2008... I was doing stories on drones the size of honeybees, and people thought I was crazy. Doing stories on Google and how they're, you know, using new technology to have your computer listen to fifty key things so that they could tailor marketing towards you. If you hear a dog bark, pretty soon you get ads that are dog food ads. That's been around for a long time. I mean, and, and people call call me crazy all the time, but not according to that email I got that said I'm the shale play profit. That's right, it's stories like that that you can go back and take a look at that are in documentation from print and here at the audio interviews. But that's, um, all those headlines, by the way, are available at the crudelife.com show page. You can click on them, read them in their entirety. But we just thought we'd read the first couple paragraphs and move on. All right. We're going to take a brief pause here and mention our sponsor of the day. And then we're going to come back and interview Terry Edom, the man, the myth, the legend, the author, the blogger, and writer. Coming up in just a moment here. But first, we want to make sure we mention our sponsor who allows us to keep our lights on. And we want to mention for sure to remind people and educate and entertain people on how those lights continue to stay on when you turn them on and companies like absolute energy field products and services are making energy happen absolute energy field products and services is an engineering design and manufacturer of oil and gas production equipment refining and petrochemical processing equipment they manufacture the equipment with the highest standards as per asme boiler and pressure vessel code section 8 division 1 and can be designed, fabricated, and tested in accordance with NACE, NACE standards. Visit www.absoluteenergyfield.com or check out the Crude Life show page for links there. Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. We're going to get right to our next segment here as Terry Edom is patiently waiting on our Bakken barbecue phone lines as we're sitting in the hatch coaching studios here. But let's get to our Bakken barbecue phone lines with Terry Edom, the man, the myth, the legend, the writer, the author, and what else? The blocker. That's right. Who do we got over there?
3: Hello, it's Terry Edom here, the author of The End of Fossil Fuel Insanity.
1: Excellent. Thank oh. you for joining us here today. Also, a writer for the B O E report and a blogger for his very own public energy number one. Are you still doing those two things too? I am as much as I can. So, yep. first of all, before be- before we get into the book, go ahead and give yourself a plug for the three different uh, sites you do for. It. You're an author, so you get your book available at Amazon and also bookstores, and then you've got. Yep. Your Boe report, which is a uh, a news outlet, and then you've got your blog, which for some reason you're, you're a blog man. You 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 made it through the blogging graveyard, which you know that. I mean, what was it? Nine out of 10, nine, 99 out of a hundred blogs are in the graveyard somewhere. So,
3: yeah, that's right. Most people don't carry on with them, so I guess I just uh, uh, I guess I either care or I'm interested or some combination of the two. I guess it, what bugs me most is the energy ignorance out there, and uh, yeah, it's just too annoying to let slip past.
1: The so, character p- flaw of my public energy number one. Talk to me about that.
3: So I started that. Uh, that's where I started writing back in 2014, and it was basically just to uh, answer questions for friends. Um, I've always liked writing, and it was just kind of an outlet that I could write. And I would, uh, people would say, um, I get a call from a friend or something outside the oil patch saying what's fracking all about or is it really dangerous or whatever so I just write up an article and send it to not even an article just like an answer and try try and expand it in a way that's readable because uh, even a lot of people will say that they're interested in fracking but they really aren't they just I mean once you get into the weeds of what it actually is you, their eyes glaze over
1: pretty quickly mm-hmm. so
3: I would try and make it readable for them, and then um, I would get these feedback from people saying, "Hey, this is great. Can I, do you mind if I send it around, or you made it understandable, or whatever?" And I enjoyed doing it, so then I um, I just thought I'd put it on a um, uh, on a blog, which, and I had to do it anonymously to start with because I was a spokesman for a pipeline company at the time, who wouldn't have appreciated me being a spokesman for anything else. So, so I, it was like my nighttime hobby. I would go answer these questions, post them online. I would enjoy writing them. And then, like you said, most blogs fail because people just aren't. Uh, it takes a lot of work, and um, but I liked it, and then luckily it just started building. And then um, I started writing for the Boe report, which is uh, an industry trade site. So that's a little bit more hardcore oil and gas, and we get into more issues about that, that impact the industry. Uh, and then then the book just kind of flowed out of all of that too. It just I kept getting requests from people saying that yeah, I like how you're write about energy and you make it relatable. How do we make this relatable for, for more and more people? So I wrote the book kind of from a, the viewpoint of, uh, or, or for people that don't know anything about energy, just try and get the context out there to them. People get fed a lot of stuff in the in the news and the media that's just profoundly untrue about, for example, how easy it's going to be to go all renewable or something. And there's a lot of vested interests that, that push that, Theme, and mean, it, it's just not even true, and I wouldn't care if people. I mean, there's a lot of things that people uh, believe out there that are wrong, but this is impacting our policy. And we're, we see that. You see it there. We see it here, where our, our industry is under siege. Um, people are trying to to wipe out the hydrocarbon industry, and, it, and it, but it's the fuel that keeps everyone alive, and it's it's just this paradox, which uh, it's just it, it's almost insanity, which is, ties to the title of my book. But we're, it's happening, and and we can't let people get away with it.
1: Terry Edom is with us, the man the myth the legend the author, writer and blogger and going through his kind of his professional passion which has led him to where he's at today it's one of the many reasons why we like to check in with Mr. Terry Edom here on the Crude Life is number 1 he's he's put his his money where his mouth is his, his hobby has turned into a nice side profession which turned into uh, a profession which has turned into a great lifestyle for him the other reason is he lives in Canada so he's got a different international (laughs) perspective on it and it's not just for your accent you're covered oh you know about and boat you know it's we we like to make fun of your accent but at the same time you know you you, hang up You've got a very socialized uh, lifestyle up there, a lot more than the United States. No, don't we? So I like to compare <laughs> yeah. and contrast some of the inter- international energy things. And that's actually one of the things I wanted to bring you on today about was this article I got that I sent you that talks about just really some of the woes that uh, Europe is having when it comes to renewable energy, this, this aggressive crash course that that they seem to be on to get on renewables and off fossil fuelables, right? And I I don't even know if that Germany, which is the poster child, even got to a third. I thought I saw 30%, but I for some reason, I thought it might've been under 30. So just being generous, let's say they got a third of their grid to renewables. That wasn't sustainable. They had to turn on the coal plants and it also made their energy grid or, I'm sorry, their energy bills, three to four times what they were already paying. So there was really not a lot of positive that came out of it. And in the headline, it said, Canada, you're next. And so I thought, okay, this will be fun. But in that first line, it said um, energy poverty. And to me, that's just socialism. I, I, to me, it, it, when, when you call something energy poverty that is done by regulation because there's a lot of not, yeah. options out there anyway go ahead sorry oh, that's,
3: I, that's exactly what it is oh yeah no it's uh, it's it's entirely created by regulation it's like you said it's their it's a problem of their own making well and germany is so ironic as a poster child they had a lot of power from nuclear which is as green as it gets i mean some people don't like the waste but you can't deny that the power generated by nuclear is clean and for whatever reason they decided to get rid of nuclear they panicked and and said we have to close all our nuclear plants and and then this is where the ignorance part comes in and then the the people that had the politicians ears said well let's just go to wind and solar that's how you replace uh, nuclear and oh yeah there's that dirty old coal in the background but we'll get rid of that too and as it turns out well it's not so easy they still get a quarter i think from coal and um and they've gone full on into this wind and solar push and, and it it has as you pointed out or you showed me in that article which is true the the costs skyrocket for the average citizen the reliability of the grid goes down because now you're dependent on an intermittent source which you can't count on and you still need a backup supply of reliable power and and the, the costs of um there's very few articles that seem to make the news internationally, especially about the actual cost that people face, and, and this energy poverty uh, yardstick here, that's just fascinating, the percentage of people that that spend, uh, I forget what the a significant component of their income on power, uh, it, it's huge across the states, some of those are poorer EU countries, uh, you mentioned it's coming to Canada, it's kind of ironic because in Ontario, our biggest province here, which is mainly a manufacturing place, but it's a huge, or their economy is manufacturing base, but they had a green government come in about uh, ten years ago or so and they um, decided to go all green too and the uh, I found another article talking about how the uproar that happened there people's bills electrical bills doubled some of the rural areas uh, some places were seeing their electricity bills at a thousand dollars a month and and that was go- that was gone up like fivefold from what it had been before and that's thanks to going to to go to uh, green energy and in Ontario is blessed with uh, tons of hydroelectric power. They've got dams and, and a lot of that, but, uh, but the the European thing is so stark that this is what happens when you try and push it uh, without understanding all the second and third order consequences.
1: these articles are so maddening to me because they, they leave out so much of the context. Like I said, it's this article is pretty much to sell the word energy poverty. and, Mm-hmm. That bothers me because it it's almost like um the the, the great philosopher George Carlin you know Dre, George Carlin the great philosopher <laughs> uh-huh. when when he got into his uh shell shock and PTSD and battle battlefield fatigue and when he got into soft language and he talked about how if you change the language enough and you make it soft enough and all this other stuff, pretty soon it doesn't have the same effect that it does before. And it talked about post-traumatic stress disorder, which we now call, what, PTSD. Uh, it was called PTSD, battlefield yeah. fatigue. But originally it was called shell-shocked, you know, shell-shocked. I mean, you Right, know? right. And, and he, he brings up a great point that if we'd continue calling it that, it probably would have been funded differently and, and it would have been. I look at this the same way. I mean, you start saying energy poverty, we're so acceptance to the word poverty now that we just let government take care of it. And that's what they're doing here now. Yeah. It's like, they're saying, Oh, will just let the yeah. government take care of the energy bills for everybody. That's, that's something we need. And it's, um, is this, how, how deep is this in Canada? I guess, because the thing that I'm trying to not put my conspiracy mind around is it almost seems like they're trying to usher in socialism through energy in the United States.
3: Oh, you, you hit the nail squarely on the head. And I, I think that there's um, uh, the well, it, one bad habit that we've fallen into is the uh, energy sector, hydrocarbon sector, as we, we speak out against environmentalists. But there's there's true environmentalists and then there's the climate change crowd. And they're two totally different beasts. Environmentalists are people that want to lower their footprint. They want to live a cleaner life. They want to get better mileage with their car. They buy a Honda Civic instead of a, a big SUV or whatever, and they recycle, and they and all of those good things. And I call them the Mother Earth news crowd because they're that's the way they live, grow their own vegetables where they can and that sort of thing. The climate change people are political beasts, and I think that they're just smuggling in. They're using the environmental cause to, uh, well, the European guys, some of them are quite open that they want to overthrow capitalism. If you can read this in uh, publications like The Guardian out of the U.K., um, Some of their poster child uh, uh, editorialists there talk about how we have to—the only way to save the climate is to overthrow capitalism. They're—they're quite blatant about it, and that's coming into the states. uh, AOC—how do you pronounce her name? Alexandria, whatever. Um, Your little poster child down there—that like her, her and Bernie Sanders would love to overthrow capitalism. They—they want to become democratic socialists, they call it, but they want state control of things, and that this is—it's a power grab in a sense. Uh, and and I firmly believe that that's true that they're and they're using the environment as a as a means to do that and, and you're right they, they 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 convince people oh you we'll look after your power bill the state will we'll get the money from somewhere we'll squeeze it out of something we'll we'll get everybody in an electric vehicle by giving you back ten thousand dollars if you buy one go buy a Tesla and we'll give you a check for ten thousand dollars or seven thousand or whatever they do in california and and it's just there it's just uh, it's 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 a broken market, and as as you see in europe the and the closer you get to full implementation the the harder and harder it becomes is one article about how uh, the true expense of Germany going green and and you you can get to ten percent level of renewables or something without too much bother then twenty percent is more of a challenge and then after that, every incremental ten percent just becomes much much harder and more expensive and, and like you said, they're not even um Germany might be a third renewable, and that's a that's a uh, dangerous, slippery slope to go on when you talk about how much percent they get from renewable, because people get confused with uh, how much capability they have versus how much they actually require of each source. And, but anyways, uh, Germany's gone a long ways, and it's cost them an absolute fortune, hundreds of billions of dollars, I think over $500 billion, I've seen estimates, and their emissions haven't gone down at all over the past 10, 15 years. And they're still projected to not go down. They're still trying to expand a coal mine in Germany. They're trying to knock down a forest. And, and these protesters are hanging out in the forest for no surprise there uh, because they're trying to get, get it um, leave the forest intact. Uh, so this is happening in, in the, the heartland of green the green revolution so it just doesn't work you just you can't you can't uh demonize the petroleum industry and and try and do what they're doing and, and the world looks like it just has to find out the hard way nobody will listen until they see it
1: we've gone back several years um terry edom with the boe report public energy number one also the author of the end of fossil fuel let's start uh, fossil fuel insanity what's the exact title again
3: the end of fossil fuel insanity, you
1: got it. The end of the fossil fuel insanity, okay. I'll uh, copy. And yeah, pick it up, Amazon.com. We'll have links at our show page here at the Crude Life. By the way, you know, the Crude Life podcast, we can be a little more relaxed during the podcast. Like, I use nicknames now because, you know, it's a, because of the environmental movement and how I was talking about the smoking ban and the cigarette uh, parallel five years ago. In fact, probably you and I, interviews three years ago, we were talking about it um they're they're calling me the shale play prophet so i'm 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 loving that and the the north dakota nomad because you know i I move around and (laughs) and you know we do uh, here at the crude life though we do talk about topics that a lot of people don't talk about we we try to stay ahead of the curve we try to stay proactive you've been one that has been following the rise of the environmental movement with me for a long time of course you're in canada so you've got a completely different perspective i do want to see uh get your perspective of my uh, comparison to uh the smoking ban, and I've been saying this for a while now that I really think the energy industry they're they're still caught up in an energy debate when I think the activists have been going at it especially this year from a public health debate so much so that Jim kramer compared tobacco- or uh, tobacco companies to oil companies uh just over over the weekend so your thoughts on that, because um, you and I have been talking about this for over three years.
3: Yeah, uh, well, it's, it's outrageous, but in some ways it's our own fault, like you said, that we've, we've allowed it to come to this. Uh, first of all, any comparison between tobacco and, and petroleum is just so ludicrous, it leaves me breathless. Uh, how many people, uh, any, anyone out there listening, anywhere on earth, I, I dare you to live for as long without fossil fuels as you can without tobacco products. You, tobacco products add nothing to life other than some brief pleasure for those that enjoy it. And uh, they, they, they cut your lifespan down, whereas petroleum products or hydrocarbons or fossil fuels, whatever you want to call them, we can't live without them for half an hour, especially here in the winter. So it, the, the comparison is just ludicrous. Um, and that somebody like Kramer would say that, well, I'm not a fan of his, so it's not that surprising. But it just shows you the, the intellectual short-circuiting that people make. With, with with zero thought into these things, they just they're, they don't they don't attempt to contextualize it properly. They just uh, take these messages and and they, and they sound simplistic. They're sound bites and they're provided by the the so-called environmental movement, but it's really the climate change movement that's doing it. And you're right, they're so far ahead of us. Uh, the the petroleum sector, as far as the messaging and the smearing and the, um, Well, they've got an army of of people doing this. If you go to any a climate activist website. Uh, there's like dozens here in Canada, but just pull up one of their websites. Go to 350.org. Go to Greenpeace. Go to Sierra Club. Go to any of these, and just look at the army of people that they have working for them. All of these, and I don't even know where all the money comes from, but it's a lot of money. But I think it's the likes of Michael Bloomberg and whatnot. Um, but but they're well-paid professionals, and they sit there. They produce nothing. All they're trying to do is undermine. Um, the petroleum sector, and push their agenda. And they have nothing better to do literally all day than come up with messages to counteract whatever we want to talk about. When, if we want to talk about, uh, if we want to put messages out there into the public realm about how much people rely on, on petroleum products, or let's say, how many things in your in your household are made out of petroleum products, and it's virtually everything. It's either made from it or it, came, it was brought there to you by petroleum products. They're working on messages to shut that down and and that's why they, uh, if they can't uh, counteract it directly, they come up with something like Greta, who's a little figurehead, and and that that's their, that's their job. That and they're very good at it. And we haven't been good at it. We're 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 like, we're ten miles behind them in terms of messaging, and we're paying the price for it. But I, I hope that enough people out there take it seriously, that they're willing to put together their own social media armies and start playing in the same battlefield that they are because we're losing like you said there you, you, you we're losing the legislative war we're losing um you get people like kramer who, who's who's not the wisest guy around anyways but when he speaks a lot of people listen to him and when he says things, says things like that people take that message and they absorb it as being some sort of truth just because he's so so outspoken and out there and we need to we need to have somebody in kramer's ear saying that that's nonsense because it is
1: the thing that I'm taking away from this, too, that I'd like your opinion on, because I don't know if I've asked you this or not, since uh, Greta Thunberg, Thunberg who you mentioned, was named Time's Person of the Year. As soon as that happened, I, the very next day, in fact, that night, for anybody who would listen, I was on record saying that uh, Time magazine, by stamping that, by making her the Time Person of the Year, not only made the environment the, the topic of 2020, but it also mm-hmm. made existential fear in children cool. And what I mean by that is, uh, in California, did I send you that article about the kids drenching themselves in oil in Sacramento? No. So in Sacramento, California no. last week, to protest the Teacher's Pension Fund, which apparently has some fossil fuel monies tied to it in, the, in a roundabout way, they they use children to protest at the state capitol, drenched in fake oil, in order and a twelve year old, teens, twelve year olds and thirteen year olds. They they used uh, children in order to basically pass a political agenda, and that's what's going on. and And all I could think of was now that they're using children for protests as the centerpiece. This is no different than when I take my kid to you know the, the pizza buffet after the basketball game. I mean, that's what I see these parents doing. That I truly believe, and I guy hope I'm not right on this with my shale play profitness, but um, I, I I think there's going to be some parent that'll look at their kid as the next Aaron Brockovich against the fossil fuel industry, and that worries me.
3: I think we're we're there already in Canada, like there's...
1: <laughs> no, no, th- thanks them. for that, We're, we're you're, you're like, we're already there, big guy.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, there's, well, there's, uh, before Christmas, there was a group of, I think it was 13 kids, that got paraded out onto a stage in Vancouver, and they announced that they were suing, when Greta was in town, in our country here, um, and they announced that they were suing the federal government for uh, not doing enough for climate change. And and it's just such a well-orchestrated thing. There's, these kids are like 13, and they have a bunch of lawyers behind them. And, and it takes, in Canada, it's, it's a challenge to launch a lawsuit like that. But They've got all sorts of legal help. They've got all of these groups funding it. and And the lawyers have done all the paperwork. And here's these little kids up there talking outrageous nonsense about how they can't go outside because it's cold out. Because of climate change, the extreme cold, or one kid couldn't play hockey in Ottawa because the ice was melted, and he's sad. And literally, this is in their in their lawsuit. I'm taking those examples out of them; they're true. Um, and, and, and but they're they poster children, of course, they're cross section, multiracial, uh, just a perfect uh, blend. Um, and, and it's that there's there's laws against using kids in advertising or targeting kids in advertising, but yet they're, they're using them unabashedly for their own purposes you look at Greta herself she's a Swedish kid sitting on school steps in the spring and in the fall she's addressing the United Nations how does that happen? There's has absolutely nothing to do with, with her message that has to do with a, 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 a wildly successful campaign supported by a lot of very senior people to make that happen Who address, would, could you address the UN if you wanted with your years of energy experience or could anyone um, and then they sat there and they listened to her she lectured them it was just absurd but that that's the world we live in now so um i I think yeah when you talk about the next darren brockovich yeah it's it's coming for sure there i bet you there are groups like um if you could get somebody from national resources defense council who's a big player down in the states there on the climate activist scene and they're an army of lawyers and i if you could pin someone down to actually answer your questions i bet you they would say that they have things like that in the works and i I think there's like a thousand lawsuits underway in the united states anyways over climate change they get thrown out but sooner or later one judge is going to uh side with them and then they'll have a precedent and then they'll be off and running so
1: so when when canada when this happened with the lawsuit and everything along those lines um what were the kids that were the kids talking about how they, they they were scared about you know 10 20 30 years in the future was that kind of the basis behind it uh, at least in some of the places that i've seen in 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 the states and fargo north dakota that where they're demanding a climate emergency one kid one child i think was yeah. 13 and said they wanted to live to be the age of 30 or 40 or something like that <laughs> yeah that's it's
3: just it's the kind of uh fear that they're they're talking about and i think uh, in the canadian i'm not that familiar with lawsuits luckily i mercifully have been out of court so far but when I, I did read through their actual lawsuit and they had a little profile of each child and the child had to say how they were harmed so far and so they they said i've been harmed by climate change because and one kid has asthma or something and and because of climate change there's more more allergens in the air in spring so she can't go outside so she has to sit inside and so she's deprived of nature and one irony was that um, three of the 13 kids were uh, they described um, not being able to enjoy their family vacation homes as much as they used to because of climate change that irony seemed to escape a lot of people that these poor kids couldn't go to their cottage by the lake or the ocean because of climate change or they couldn't enjoy it as much Uh, the, the wildest one was the kid from ottawa who literally said I like to play hockey, but sometimes I go and I like to play. I prefer to play at an outdoor rink. And sometimes when I go to the outdoor rink, because of climate change, it's warm and there's no ice, and so I'm sad. <laughs> Literally, that's the core of the lawsuit. And because they have to show how they're suffering, and then they get into the, the their light reduced life expectancy too. But they had to catalog all of the ways that they're suffering, and it, it's it's laughable. But but they the world laughed it up. And um, it'll take years for it to, to get wind its way through Canadian courts. We can't do anything quickly here um, except panic. But other than that, we everything else moves at a snail's pace. So um, I'll let you know how it turns out in five years or so.
1: Yeah, please do. Um, I, I'm just waiting for it to be cited in in some sort of divorce hearing. Be like, ah, climate change, <laughs> we can't be married anymore. It's just, it's we can't do it. It's just... <laughs> I mean, it's just being blamed for everything, you know? It's just. Well, <laughs> did you see the, um, the, the,
3: the. This is the. Every day there's something new that just boggles my mind, but the United Nations passed a, a resolution, I think it was last week, where they said that uh, 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 being a refugee because of climate change is a legitimate uh, means to uh, try and enter another country. So, what that means is uh, someone wants to come to the u.s they could have a flood in their home country or a forest fire or whatever ailment you come up with to to ascribe to climate change which is everything these days and if they want to come to the u.s and want to get into the u.s they could say i fled my home country because i had to leave because climate change caused forest fires and according to United nations uh the u.s or canada or whoever it would be would have to accept that person as a refugee now, if, if that doesn't stop in your tracks, I, I don't know what would. Uh, because now, in theory, you could go, because they blame, every weather event is now blamed on climate change, right? If it's a hurricane, if it's too cold, it's climate change. If it's too much snow, it's climate change. If it's too dry, it's climate change. Now, any one of those is an excuse for me to come into your country because I'm fleeing what's happening in mine. Uh, this is the United Nations. This, like, this is, you, you. you can't make this stuff up, but it's, it's happening so I, I don't know what to say
1: <laughs> absolutely incredible terry edom the boe report public energy number one and the author of the end of the fossil fuel insanity on the line with us here and we're talking about uh, some environmental issues as well as some international energy and how is things in canada by the way before we get into uh, some other business at hand I did want to just get a quick Canadian update from you. I know you're kind of uh, in the natural gas sector, so are are you guys having some business up there?
3: Uh, not really We're <laughs> just hanging on the, um there well, it's a double whammy like we we have the our biggest uh hurdle is access to markets we 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 can't get our uh oil to tidewater because we can't build any pipelines. Although there's one underway, but it's been underway for uh, coming on a decade now. An expansion of uh, an existing pipeline. We can't build any natural gas pipelines. Although one is underway, but it yet it, uh, um, it, it you can you can spend a billion dollars advancing a pipeline, and then two people can can derail it for a year with some sort of protest or something. So uh, so we're 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 a strangled market here. We can only sell our product to uh, down to the U.S. In, in, into the interior of the continent where you have your own glut going on you have too much natural gas you have too much oil you have too much associated gas from the oil production especially in the permian and and also in the bakken and so that's what we're competing with so so we can't get world prices for our product and then on top of that the regulatory burden the the, you're you're just starting to see it down there that's what we we've been living for a long time up here the um you, you can't get anything done um everything gets protested everything gets uh blocked by environmental groups um it, the, the the regulations and, and some of it is is uh is good quality uh preservation of habitat type regulations and there, everyone can live with that in the business here it's quite onerous but we can live with that but it's the political part that's just choking us off here so and, and then and on top of that the um, there's so there's the the monies, a lot of money's flood the petroleum sector in canada just because who wants to do business with the with the government like we have here and then on top of that there's the global movement to uh divest from fossil fuels like you said in sacramento it's the same thing here if any any public institution or pension fund or whatever that has any fossil fuel investments they just get hounded mercilessly and uh till they, uh i don't know what they do about it but uh, uh, some cave and sell their stuff and some don't, but uh, so yeah, it's, it's all, it's a, it's not a very happy place up here. I'm, I look around downtown Calgary and a third of the office towers about, I think it's about 30% are, are vacant. So some buildings you can see right through them and um, yeah, it's, it's very grim times up here.
1: Well, I've just seen so much of what's happened up where, where you're at is trying to bleed its way down into the States and yeah, it's coming. And, and I've seen it done through the public health debate. And um, they're doing, you know, with setbacks and and, and pollution and, and just all kinds of different things. And I thought it was very much like the, the smoking ban. Um, I thought it was very much done through regulation, and it was done through the use of children and, you know, public health type of a thing. Because when, when you're talking, it's so easy to feel connected to the environment and it's oh it is yeah. and, and so you you can see where you know the activists and the environmentalists have really just taken a whole new approach to this to where um literally they they, they could like like we said before the texting te- keurig drinking texting trolling you know using smartphones and i mean they could be wearing plastic jumpsuits in protesting it wouldn't even dawn on them you know what i mean to wear Um, Has anybody in your government, because I have not heard it here, everybody gets caught up on the energy debate here, especially how much it costs to, you know, heat something. And, you know, do we, you know, not want to heat, you know, poor people? Does anybody even bring up the manufacturing side of things up in Canada when it comes to, you know, like, like, you know, like a phone, you know, it's made out of plastic and and parts and things like that Uh to where, you know, just a simple thing like, you know, syringes at the hospital, how much – Cost difference that would be, and would they even be safe anymore if they didn't have plastic sealing them? And that, does anybody even bring up anything outside of gas and heating homes as the debate, or are we still stuck on that?
3: Well, we we can't even get past that, and it, it's the <laughs> they just go on the attack, and it's part of their program. They like they know um, that, that there's some that we could gain traction if we got those messages. Right and, and, and out there and some people do hear them, but the, but they are, they're ready for us they're just they say uh, um, and well and, and, and the best example comes from um, ironically Elizabeth Warren who's, who's the most coherent she's more coherent than our Canadian socialist but um, she went on the attack and, and, uh, just recently in the CNN climate um, Democratic. Town Hall or whatever, and they asked her about that, about cell phones or, or about uh, plastic bags, and she she just turned that into this attack on the fossil fuel industry, saying, "Oh, that's a that's a smoke screen. That's what they want to talk about. The fossil fuel industry. They want to talk about your your plastic bags and stuff. It's just a, a they they that they're just trying to create these red herrings so to distract themselves from the pollution they're pumping into the atmosphere. So so their 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 messaging is. It's advanced and it's easy. It's like you said. I mean, if you ask the average person on the street, doesn't know anything about energy other than the cost of gasoline, and they might have heard that fracking is bad or something. But uh, so, if you walk up to the average citizen and say, "Would you, would you prefer to get your power from the sun or would you prefer from dirty oil?" and it's it's a no brainer. Like who wouldn't say, "I would prefer to get my power from the sun." They say, "Okay, well." You could, but these fossil fuel companies won't let you. What do you think of that? And then there they've got a convert. It's like, oh, those damn fossil fuel companies. I, I, could be, I could be running on solar now, but they won't let me, or they're blocking me or whatever. And there you go. There's another uh, member of the religion. And, and, and we've done a terrible job of standing up uh, or getting in, in that process and saying that it's absurd, and you need to stop saying that, and you need to stop believing it. And it's it's so far gone that the politicians now, like Warren that I gave as an example, or or Bernie Sanders, or or Michael Bloomberg, these people are about possibly to take the helm of the largest economy in the world, and they're spouting absolute nonsense like this. And politicians always spout nonsense to a certain degree, but this is this is we can see the consequences, right? We're in Europe, where in that article you sent, forty percent of Romanians or something live in energy poverty; they can't afford. Their power bills and and to live and um, it's catastrophic for these people unless the government steps in and makes it all better. The government can't do that forever, but but the politicians uh, have have absorbed this message and they're they're so scared now. Of the environmental movement we see that in Canada here, where our government declared a climate emergency, the federal government, and then that. they act like you. Um, but at the same time, there there there's enough. There's just a little glimmer of intelligence going on there a little spark that says wait a minute we can't kill the petroleum industry yet which is one reason that they're supporting one pipeline in Canada half-heartedly and, and like if Warren or Sanders or whoever if they ever do heaven forbid become uh, the leader of the United States that they're talking about banning fracking the day that they get in well that will vaporize that argument because they'll realize the, the stupidity of that um, and they will backpedal immediately but it, for now, it makes a good message, right? Because it resonates with. Go to Los Angeles and ask someone what they think of fracking, and, and you'll 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 learn all about fracking from someone that knows nothing about fracking, because their head's full of disinformation. So, uh, and it's the same as New York or wherever. Um, and, the, and urban centers are worse because when you're in an urban center, everything comes to you automatically, and you don't think about it. You don't think about where your heat comes from. You don't think about food farmers are just a bunch of hicks out in out in the hinterland and that that's that's just their a view that that's a bit of a stereotype which i shouldn't propagate but it, it's a, it's a that's a crude way of saying that people just take everything for granted that shows up in their supermarket and their fuel in their tank and the heat in their buildings and they they just don't think about it And if someone says you don't need a, you don't need petroleum to get that stuff we can do it with solar they go yeah it sounds good to me and and there we are um
1: Where, where are the energy leaders on this? Where are, you know, I mean, the energy industry has, they they spend billions of dollars in public relations Mm -hmm. and there's associations and all kinds of groups that are paid specifically to go, go do and fight these battles. And I I guess I, I look at it and, and to be this far behind to where a sixteen-year-old yeah. girl got the headlining um, speech and all the all the media from the UN conference on climate change, and now it's a uh, directly against your industry. I, I mean, I I, I don't want to oh, you know yeah. shoot the messenger or anything like that, but at the same time, somebody's got to stand up and say it's time for a little industry gut check. At the same time,
3: yeah, it, it is, and it's uh, well, and I wrote about this in the book. Is I think one of the problems. It's fundamentally, even though it's kind of a wildcat in kind of business, or it has been, it's a pretty conservative industry, the the petroleum sector. And change is hard. It, t- it takes a long time. And I think for many decades, the um, uh, petroleum sector has been used to dealing with governments. That's that's how they operated. You, the governments around the world, and, and even state governments and uh, pure provincial governments, but almost every country in the world wanted their petroleum resources developed so they they wanted companies to come in they, they held auction right auctions for the rights to develop them they still do that in part in africa and other parts of the world norway just did it they want these resources developed so so petroleum companies dealt with governments and the governments made it happen um so now in the past 10 years which is not very long in the big scheme of things. Governments have turned their backs on the petroleum sector saying, We can't support you guys anymore. We don't want anything to do with you. You're pariahs now. And and so the that was the um, animal by that operated for probably a hundred years. That's on their left button oh, Wait a minute. Now governments won't support us. Now the public's been turned against us. Um, and everybody's been convinced that they can live without uh, petroleum, and they can't. But how, how do we start messaging now? And they're just, and in the warp speed of social media and 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 um, uh, digital messaging, and, and things move so quickly. And they're so good at it. The, these people that have, lived, and they have hired a lot of kids that have grown up in this world too. And, and and now you have these conservative old institutions trying to figure out. All right, let's set up a Twitter account here. Now, what are we going to do? And and then they put out some pablum on there that. And there, I wrote about that too in the in my book which was it's, the statistics about a year year and a half old now but ExxonMobil's Twitter account was um, uh, it was it was a joke compared to any other amateur um, climate organization and they the, the tweets that they have they put out a tweet and it would get like fifty likes or something well Exxon has like seventy thousand employees worldwide and so that, that, that's what their social media presence was. That's who it resonated with with 50 people out there or something I can't remember the exact number. Um, whereas you look at a green organization then they'll put out some disinformation and then it goes spreads out their network like wildfire. and two hours later it's been recirculated everywhere. it's in the news. Everybody's talking about it, liking it. Um, where's Greta going next? It's just like it's like a wildfire and and then and then the petroleum sector, is sitting there trying to figure out well how do we explain to people that lipstick is made with petroleum and and we spent two years working on that message and and then the world has changed infinitely in two years and we're still trying to figure out those basics so i think i think we need all of those old people that are running it they need to hire a bunch of young digital whip smart kids and then educate them on the role the real role of petroleum in our society and then turn them loose and say, and make them understand the consequences of not having it, which shouldn't be that hard, but we seem to have a challenge with
1: it. Well, therein lies the challenge. About five years ago, we started on the story about the retirement uh, happening in the industry. 70% of the industry is supposed to be retired by 2022, and there's kind of a vetting process going. They call it the big cruise shift, uh, where You've got, you know, because in the 90s, remember, we had low oil prices. So there was a decade where the oil industry really didn't hire anybody. They just, you know, they 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 were on, you know, cruise control basically for the 90s. And it wasn't until the new shale revolution. So you've got Gen X and millennials and even younger than the millennials now. So you got essentially three generations that oil and gas companies are faced with hiring. And I'll tell you what. There's an interesting thing going on because I just saw a study the other day. We're going to be talking to them next week. It had to do with um, uh, people in the oil and gas sector. Half of them are looking for jobs in the renewable sector. Think about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as you're vetting through your oil and gas professionals, yeah, you can bring in some young people, but you might be bringing in your own Trojan horse people because these guys, you know as well as I do, (laughs) There's a ton of people yeah. who just work for the check. They don't care about capitalism. They don't care about socialism. All they care oh, yeah, about yeah. is once that once that tail gets pulled and that bird goes, goes chirp, Fred Flintstone <laughs> goes sliding down that tail at 5 o'clock, baby. Once that, you know what I mean? Once the dinner bell rings and the work's oh, yeah, over. And there's other people that, hey, they'll go sleep on the well site for four straight days to make sure the monitors are right and the levels are right and everything's taken care. There are some people that their work is their life, and a lot of times that was the oil and gas industry. But right now it's going through a change. It is going through a change, and I see it every single day. I'm seeing guys that are trying to be activists. They're already tired. We haven't even started the political season. We yeah, haven't even yeah. started it yet, and you guys are already tired. How that happen? Yeah. Anyway, um. So I I don't know what the answer is. All I know is that um there is that the that, that the energy industry uh is conservative. I agree with you, and I do agree with you that they are very slow to change. But I also want to say one thing: that if they don't change, change is happening around them already
3: i agree completely yep it's uh yeah it,
1: uh and it, and, that, and to me that's kind of the message is that the energy industry has to change otherwise it's it's they're not going to have a choice in the change because it's happening by a 16 year old girl in an army of existential fear kids
3: right and and whether they're right or wrong or whether it's crazy or not crazy it's happening like you said so it, it's uh it, it doesn't do any good it, it's in some ways, it's we're an engineering-led business too, where things are. Uh, engineers have a, a wonderful, uh, efficient view of the world, where if, if they think if something is so obvious, people will figure it out. But they won't figure it out. There's uh, people just don't think about where their heat comes from, or where their food comes from, or where their fuel comes from. They're they're willing to be led by uh, fear-driven um, institutions. So, yeah, we, we have to figure that game out.
1: Well, we'll continue to reach out to people across the borders, so much so we have Terry on the man of international content. He's an author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. He's a writer for the BOE Report, and he's a blogger for his own personal website, Public Energy Number One, and he's also uh, the man, the myth, the legend, and the author, writer, and blogger, so he's got a lot of nicknames, but... Uh wrapping up here man. Uh what what what's the takeaway? I mean, we're going to still continue to reach out to the kids, you know, us at the Crude Life, we're we're talking to college kids and high school kids trying to get their perspective. We're doing what little we can. You know, we don't get the big funds and you know the big sponsorship dollars like all the other guys, you know, like you you and your big look at me i got (laughs) i i got best-selling book money (laughs) i'm being tongue-in-cheek so please support him folks he needs he needs the support too so (laughs) no uh what's what's next though what what do you think people should do i mean you know like i said our strategy is for the last three years to to try to reach out to people with an olive branch with a steady hand hand and you know, and, and, you know, inform and entertain and do that, not yell at people and not, you know, that sort of thing. And is it working? I don't know, but it seems to, we're still growing with our numbers. What are you guys doing That your, either, either your energy company that you work for or your media companies? How are you guys adapting to the change that's happening around us?
3: Well, on, on our, the company I work for, we just, we're just producers. So we're in a bit at that. Mind where we just do what we've always done—we take our product to market and we hope for a good price. So, uh, which is not a good strategy these days. We need to to do uh, as much value adding as we can. And I know there's some uh, second order businesses that are springing up. How do, you, how do you add value to natural gas? You can have power plants, or you can find some industries that are um, that require natural gas as a feedstock. And in the U.S., like you have such a glut of gas, like there's so many industries that require cheap energy. So I think that's one way to look at it on the more macro level with the, the battleground against the, the climate um, uh, scene, I think that we, we just have to just calm down and just look where we're at and try and, try and be like they are and try and move ahead of them. What, what Where are they going to go with their messaging next? And and, and not just their messaging, but it, it is a train wreck. What they're pushing is a train wreck, and it's unfolding before our eyes. We see it in Germany. We saw it with the energy poverty, like we were talking about earlier. We're... The greener they get, the more problems they have. Uh, essentially, if you rely on wind and solar, the, the Australian United Kingdom, I'm writing a story about this, or not a story, but reporting on it, but they, their, their grids have become so reliant on renewables that they become unstable and they're susceptible to these large scale power outages as California is becoming. Um, they have to shut it in, shut in uh, large chunks of their grid. Under certain conditions, and part of that is because they have, there's not enough maintenance spent on the grid to clear all the trees underneath. So, the the more the more we we give money to the wind and solar factions, the less reliable our grids become, and the more people are going to suffer become of it because of it. And it's happening out there, and it's happening in Germany where the costs are through the roof. It happened in Ontario where the costs went through the roof. And we need to get out. We need to start using these facts as uh, as 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 a method of explaining to people, like, this is going to come out of your hide. Um, there were a couple of surveys done in Canada and the United States last summer where they asked people, are you concerned about climate change? And, like, the majority of them say, oh, yes, we're concerned. It's like 75% of these countries that were concerned or extremely concerned. And they then they asked the same people, how much are you willing to pay to do something about it? And in both countries, the answer is almost the same. About 90% of the people would not spend $500 a year to fight climate change, and over just over half the population wouldn't spend a hundred bucks a year to fight climate change. So, so they say one thing that they're scared because they're supposed to be scared. But when when you say okay, let's see your your checkbook, they say ah, I'm not doing anything. So there, there's that's the cold hard reality, and that's that's where the public's mind is at, and we need to understand that, and we need to paint this picture for them. Like, okay, if you, you these people that are telling you we're going to go all wind and solar renewable um they're telling you that here's the real life consequence of that your power bill could go up by five hundred dollars a month not not per year or maybe that's a bit harsh that happens in extreme places like that ontario example i gave but if you're looking at two to three hundred dollars a month which is certainly within the realm of possibility for these schemes and a lot more if you want to go all renewable it's going to be way higher do you understand that people that you're you're going to be spending two, three, four, five thousand dollars a year more on your power than you are right now, and you don't even consider it now, but you're going to. So those those are the um, th- those are facts that we can deal with, and that's a something that we can work on making the, the general public understand too.
1: One thing I, I'll just end with is, um, and I'll give you opportunity to plug your sites one time. Is you know for me. I agree with you on what you're talking about and trying to educate and trying to get people to understand. And what I'm trying to get people to understand is that we, we live on a very active planet and this planet. I I remember when I was in the Bakken, um, out in Dickinson, North Dakota, and I had on somebody from the, from the forest ranger on, because there was a, I think there was a fire going on and they showed me the number of lightning strikes that happened. And I was just astounded. And so I looked it up and it was something like there's a lightning strike every eleven seconds on this planet, okay oh, and, yeah, yeah. yeah and then I looked in, in a little further and like every five six hours there's a major earthquake like a, like a Richter five on this planet Wow, okay yeah. and there's a tidal wave that that crosses the Pacific Ocean every couple months and there's just you know these just just monumental things that normally would just rock us to our core. They just happen every day, and they happen all the time. And so every time somebody comes out and they point to, you know, the 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 tragedy in Bangladesh or something that happened in Pakistan or this, you know, wildfire started because of because yeah, of the yeah. the, the uh, lightning in Australia or whatever it might be, and they'll say it's the end of the world. And I just look at them and I say, no, it is the world. That is the world. You yeah, don't it get is. it. That-
3: that's that, been happening forever.
1: That, yeah. That's been going on since the before the dawn of man, you know, and mm-hmm. and, and that is it's a very hard conversation to have. And it's it's too bad that our leaders out there, the ones that are funded and receive the resources from the energy companies, they 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 can't stop that level of existential fear and and just even dial it down, and just dial it down. It's just it's it's something like I've never seen before. So. Um, How can people get entertained, educated, and uh, informed on the fossil fuel industry and all the things that it does and brings to our lives, sir, with your view of the industry?
3: Well, the very best place to start is to buy my book. How's that for a shameless
1: plug? That's and and I couldn't have set you up any better either. I mean, it was it's like you know it's Keep like it oh it's like an alley oop, man. You're LeBron James and I'm anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that doesn't make... anybody could have put if, that one in. If you're LeBron, yeah. I could be anybody off the street, and you'll look good. So, uh, yeah, where where can people get the book and your website and all that stuff?
3: Uh, sure, my website is uh, public energy number one. And the uh, book is available. The book is the end of fossil fuel insanity, and it's available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble online. And uh, it was written for you know, this very purpose, what we've been talking about, just to to demystify this this process for people or this stalemate that we're in, where we're, we're we're actively trying to kill off an industry that keeps us all alive, which should be, and I think it is, nonsensical to a lot of people. I think a lot of people are kind of stopped in their tracks by going, "Wait a minute! Like, how does this work?" I know I'm hearing this message in one ear about how we're all going to die because of uh, fossil fuels, and at the same time, I can see that I use them every day. So, I, how how do we get here? How do we how how can I make sense of this? And that's those are the people that I wrote the book for the ones that are that, that are curious about that question. So,
0: to listen to the full length interview, visit thecrudelife.
1: That's going to do it for today's program. I'd like to thank Terry Edom for coming on today's program to talk about some things environmental, plus a whole lot more. The entire interview and links are available at the crudelife.com's show page. Also, I'd like to thank Absolute Energy. Field Products for being today's sponsor and remind you folks one more time that Absolute Energy Field Products and Services is an engineering design and manufacturer of oil and gas production equipment, refining, and petrochemical processing equipment. They manufacture the equipment with the highest standards as per ASME, Boiler and Pressure Vessel Code, Section 8, Division 1 can be designed and fabricated and tested in accordance with NAC NACE standards. Visit absoluteenergyfield.com or click on our show page for links there. One more time, our event today that we'd like you to mark your calendar for is the 23rd Annual API Gumbo Cook-Off, happening Saturday, March 28th at the West River Ice Center. Links are available at thecrudelife.com. Also, upcoming guests we have. John Clark is going to have a NAEP update and a frat conference update. Jim Willis with the Marcellus Daily News. And Tiffany Steiner, she's my Bakken commissioner, is going to give us an update with some Bakken events happening. We got to go. I got to cut this early. I got to take off to a, my kids' event. That's what happens being a, a single dad like this. You know, you got to be the mom and the dad. And sometimes when the school and kid calls, you gots to go. So I will see you folks tomorrow well here you folks some of you might see me if you have a picture i guess and you're looking at it and that sort of thing and oh yeah got it Uh uh-huh i fell off the rail that's what you need to do is throw those little foam things at me so thank you provolone from the staff here at the crude life podcast my name is jason spies asking to always remember energy is more than an industry it's a way of life
2: Crude Life with host Jason Spee.
1: My name is Jason Spee and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Matt Cruz from Huskerland Oilfield Services. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Matt Cruz, the owner of Huskerland Oilfield Services right here. On the Crude Life Daily Update, Huskerland Oilfield Services. Why does Nebraska come to mind when I hear that name? So, talk to me about uh, the company and Huskerland and the whole deal.
4: Yes, sir. Uh, well, you're exactly right, Huskerland. I'm originally born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, and I was I was living in Oklahoma. I got done coaching, you know, was, and was still living down there when I broke out in the old field. And when it came time to you know get an LLC or S corp get, and get it all put together. Originally, it was going to be uh, land because I was down there. But uh, we ended up moving back to Nebraska, and I was like, hey, Huskerland it is. So, uh, you know, that's how the name came about. And uh, as, as far as getting out in Fit I, I coached college baseball and coached overseas and uh, for, you know, 10-plus years. And then uh, one of my former players, had his, his wife had a miscarriage, and, and thank goodness now they have three beautiful children. But at that time, it was 2000, oh, 2000 christmas of 2011 and so oldfield was hammered down right then guys had either been out for a long time and were at the house and wanted to be at the house for christmas or were still on a well and he was having a hard time being able to get out of there to go be with his wife and uh he called me and he's like coach hey can you you know you hop up here for a few days and so uh, my introduction to the oldfield was him giving me about a 15 minute crash course on what to look for give you this number this number this number uh he headed to the house and at the end of that four days, he came back and cut me a check, and it was, you know, it was better than what I was making as a junior college assistant baseball coach. because how much you win, you're not making much money there. And uh, Tom ever opened up to give me a call. And fast forward to the next August, you know, we're going trying to go for our second national championship in a row. We end up getting beat by LSU Eunice in the in that last game. And uh, it was at Yankee Stadium watching one of my former players make his big league debut with the with the Mariners. And, Got a call, and he's like, hey, Coach, you still want to do that? And, man, I, I hopped on the next flight after the game and headed down to Texas, sat with him as well, and, and uh, man, I've been in it ever since. And that
1: was Matt Cruz, the owner of Huskerland Oil Field Services. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit crudelife.com That's crudelife.com While you're there, be sure to check out our social media page. 300,000 followers we have on our different social media pages from the Facebook to the YouTubes, even the Twitters and LinkedIns. Go to thecrudelife.com and click on the social media tab for all of our pages, like, follow, share. We'd appreciate it very much. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spees. asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life.
0: The Crude Life is sponsored in part by
2: Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery.
0: The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday, with a Week in Review on Friday.